This episode of Playback is brought to you by Warner Brothers Pictures, with Sully selected as one of the best films of the year by AFI. Based on Captain Sully Sullenberger's unforgettable landing on the Hudson River. Directed by Clint Eastwood. Produced by Clint Eastwood, Frank Marshall, Alan Stewart, and Tim Moore. Starring Tom Hanks, Aaron Eckhart, and Laura Lenny. For your consideration in all categories. Welcome to Playback, a Variety podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. On today's show, we talk about the recent WGA nominations and the upcoming Golden Globes, as well as a few suggestions for Academy members receiving their ballots this week. A little bit later, I'll be talking to 13th director Ava DuVernay, so stick around. All right, folks, I'm here again with Janelle Riley. Welcome to 2017. We're, we're in the, the year that will be better than 2016, everyone thinks. It has to be. It has to well. be. No, look, <laughs> the, <laughs> like nine days into the year, my dog died. I mean, come on. Well, for you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it just proceeded to go downhill from there. I no longer have a dog, so therefore 2017 has to be better. Be careful what you assume. <laughs> That's true. I am that crazy person who like will probably end up with 12 dogs by the end of the year. Uh, we're fresh out of Palm Springs. Yes, fresh. I am like yeah. with the opposite of fresh. Yeah. I am worn down and yeah. tired. Did I tell you, by the way, that my hair dryer caught fire no. as I was using it? I had a lot of problems with my hotel room, and that was just the icing on the yeah, cake. Yeah, I got there. Your room wasn't ready. You wasn't ready. I, you, I was shuttling between two different rooms because the shower wasn't working. Literally, like trudging a suitcase across these beautiful grounds that I'm sure look great in the morning. But when it's one o'clock in the morning and there's no signs and no light, and then uh, I bumped into Amy Adams, also in sweatpants, and yet somehow looking <laughs> red carpet ready. And I'm like, oh god, don't recognize me, don't recognize me. And these are champagne like, problems. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's so funny you'd You're say that. You're bumbling around the Parker in Palm Springs. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to name the hotel. I will. Okay. Well, it wasn't their fault. It was it was just a confluence of of it's bad a busy events. time for them. I mean, that, yeah, you know, and it's the grounds are beautiful. They do our brunch. Yes, it's such a lovely event. But yes, as my friends were yelling at me the other day, these aren't real problems, Janelle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, the annual Palm Springs Gala Awards Gala, twenty eighth annual, I think. Have they been doing the actual gala? I don't every know year? I don't because think I'm twenty two. So it's way before my time. You didn't have to laugh. I'm sorry. Well, you didn't have to go so low. <laughs> so low. How old do you think I am? 23. Very good. Very nice recovery. Um, yeah, and so th- they had their annual gala, big packed room of all the Palm Springs locals. Yes, this is where we get to name drop that we were at the coolest table in the room. We were at a good one. Yeah. Ryan Gosling, Andrew Garfield, who I threw off. I don't know if you noticed that. He, uh, he got up to go accept his award and I got up to go to another table to talk to somebody and so as he was coming back he went to sit down at that table and he was like wait you moved that's funny (laughs) walk across to get to his table but yeah that was a very nice table Ryan Gosling stands whenever a woman returns to her seat gentlemen so uh take he just set the bar even higher it pissed me off if I'm honest I was just like really dude do you have to make me look so bad but that that event it's a little taxing I think it's hard. It's a long night. Yeah, it's it's a long night. It's a it's a lot of people, and honestly, some of them are just uncouth. 
I mean, taking oh, really? pictures of people in bathrooms. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just... Ba- the it's, bathroom, oh, absolutely. really? Oh, my wow. first year attending there, I just had the worst taste in my mouth ever since. Th- this couple left from the table, and then they come back, and the guy's, like, holding up his... Or the girl's holding up her camera, like, check it out, Angelina Jolie in the bathroom. Wow. It's just like, oh, God, get me out of here. Okay, is that really any different from the, you know, 25 events we have here, though? It's the a season. little. I've always felt it's yeah. a little sweaty there, actually. Really? I don't know. I mean, I guess they don't. It's like they're one time a year where they get these big star yeah. studded thing and people show up in their tuxes to do this Hollywood event. Well, apparently, there's a lot of Academy voters in Palm Springs. That's what I've been told. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's smart. Yes, no doubt. And anything you do in Santa Barbara, there's like 200 voters up there. I mean, there's reasons that these things are yeah. strategically positioned. This year, I don't even remember the winners at this point because all of these award shows crash well, in my head. It's funny because they gave, they gave awards to just, for example, like Natalie Portman and Annette Benning and Nicole Kidman. So they can't just call it the Actress Award. They have to make oh, up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, names. <laughs> the like, Chairman's Award. Yeah, the Desert Poem the Achievement. The Icon Award. It's like, yeah. let's get everybody in here, <laughs> which, again, is smart. And poor Emma Stone was sick with strep throat yes. and couldn't be there for the Vanguard Award with uh, Justin Hurwitz and Damien Chazelle and Ryan Gosling, who all accepted and were Hopefully she's better by the Oscars because I'm sure she'll sing (laughs) or she'll need to sing. Hopefully she's better this weekend in time for the Golden Globes to win. Yes. Oh. Oh, is really that really a bold prediction? (laughs) I'm not even sure who's nominated against her, to be honest. What do you think? We we kind of talked about Globes with some predictions or some reader questions a few weeks ago, but anything crazy? I mean, it'll probably be Emma Stone for actress in a comedy musical. I assume, I'm guessing Natalie Portman for Jackie in drama. Yeah. Um, look, at this point, I'm starting to think Ryan Reynolds will win for Deadpool because Deadpool just yeah. keeps racking up nominations and win. And, and Since look you at, brought that up. Yeah, it's like, look at your face right now. <laughs> Writers Guild Awards were Wednesday morning, and uh, these people need to see more movies. They, they depend on screeners, mm-hmm. which is a problem, and not completely their fault. I want to be fair. they're writers. They can't pay to see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to be fair because the way the timeline is, the way the calendar is structured now, you everyone pretty much depends on their screeners and you know one of the big misses was hacksaw ridge did not send screeners um such a shame it's yeah well i mean decisions have to be made early on about who you prioritize for instance dga received hacksaw screeners i I expect mel gibson to show up there sure but i think uh, he'll show up in the oscars too yeah me too and captain fantastic you know was a possibility for original they sent out digital screeners i'm told uh i don't know if that matters it seems like, like that would make it easier quite the same though i yeah. i mean i personally don't have a problem with it but there are some people who have this bias about watching it on their computer which yeah. is silly don't we watch everything on ipads now i i mean maybe it's sacrilege i, I do not have this problem yeah. uh, of watching something on my laptop um but deadpool is apparently a better screenplay than love and friendship silence which they probably didn't see fair enough yeah that's my guess uh you know hacksaw ridge just there's a litany, uh, the bigger splash, for instance, uh, which I think was one of the year's better movies. Uh, Do you? Um, I don't have a problem with this, and I know the WGA. They actually, you know, they gave a nomination to Guardians of the Galaxy. They tend to right. be yeah, more that comic was an book interesting friendly. one, and that's yeah. true. Uh, but Deadpool. I mean, look, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm slagging on the movie, and they're on our cover yeah. this week, and that's what's hilarious. But like, and I, the movie's fun. Yeah. But there, and, and, and it made a ton of money, and maybe people are worshiping that a little bit. Uh, I just that's that's a that's slightly embarrassing to me. I don't have a problem with it. I don't know um 
you know, I didn't I didn't think the dead of all the things that I liked about Deadpool. I don't know that the script was, you know, so groundbreaking or original, but I, I don't have a problem with it being nominated. You know, I mean, obviously, yeah. there there might be things I find worthy or I'm trying to rack my brain right now. Right. Um, this is where I embarrassingly admit I haven't seen Love and Friendship. Well, it's, so. you know, it's. You're apparently not alone. Yeah, <laughs> a bunch of exactly. WGA members didn't see it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so now people are thinking, hey, is, is Deadpool an Oscar possibility? No. I, 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 makeup, but I really think that's it. I mean, I guess... What if Ryan Reynolds gets in for Best Actor? I'd be dumbfounded. Really? I mean, I, I love the guy. It's a great little performance. He was made for the role. Look, I grew up reading Deadpool comics. Like, this is in my wheelhouse. I get it. But, like, it services that. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything... There's also this narrative behind it about, like, how long it took to get made and how they had to, you know, fight for that. And Yeah, and then the movie makes a ton of money and does all this yeah. – d- does as well as it's doing and then get rid of the director for the next That's movie. Right. So like, What's the buzz on that? I don't you know? know anything about it. I just think that when you have a formula and it worked and you cut off the head, that's – curious so but, but i know i don't know anything back. maybe we should get justin kroll down here to talk about that <laughs> or something. i do want to point out that um the writers as credited in the deadpool credits are the real heroes so if deadpool wins i guess does do they announce the award goes to the real heroes really like in the movie it says yeah you that, remember the I opening remember. credits it's like february that's the other thing this movie <laughs> has stuck around it's almost a year yeah and it's it's i mean kudos to fox i mean they knew they wanted to do this kind of irreverent like we're going to do an Oscar campaign. Yeah. And you know, really, what else did they have until Hidden Figures came along? Mm-hmm. But, Which I'm so happy got into WGA. Yes. Yes. And opens this weekend wide. Oh, I think it's going to be huge. Right I in mean, the middle of voting. I took a – my whole family went to see it, and it was like my nephew, age 13, and my father, age 73. Like, everybody loved it and just had these giant smiles on It's the on one movie my mom was asking about when she was home for the holiday. Really? So she was, yeah, she was like, uh, have you heard about this movie? I love when my parents say, hey, have you heard anything about this movie that you've been talking about for the last <laughs> yeah. three months? And my mom always gets the titles wrong. It's yeah. always like figuratively <laughs> hidden. Yeah, I'm just like, mom, hidden figures. Well, you know the running joke with my dad and Hugh Jackman. He, it's Hugh Jackman is his favorite actor, but he can never remember his name. And when I remind him that it's Hugh Jackman, he says, Stu Jackson? <laughs> and I uh, told the story to Hugh Jackman at one point, and he said, in your father's defense, Hugh Jackman is a weird name. <laughs> it is an interesting name. <laughs> uh, Loving and Moonlight were nominated in original, original. correct? They were but deemed they original will, by the WGA, adapted by the Academy. They'll be adapted by the Academy, so that opens up room for Captain Fantastic. Absolutely. I'm hoping. Yeah. yeah. And presumably – well, the other thing is there's other guilds this week, so uh, could Deadpool be a PGA nominee? I mean $750 million, mm-hmm. like – I think there was a time where that could have happened. I mean, the PGA yeah. used to nominate movies like Harry Potter, the first one. And, and they did? Yeah, they did. Wow. I didn't know that. That was back when they had five nominees. Because I wasn't alive then, as we've established. Yes. yes. <laughs> if anything, you were in your diapers. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they used to nominate just five, and that year it was Shrek and Harry Potter, actually. Get out. Since then, they've expanded it to ten. They've, ex- yeah. they've opened up an animated category, and they've like merged with other groups. So it's just a completely different organization, really. Can you be nominated for Best Film by PGA, but also in Animated? No. Or do- Oh, interesting. Not that I, I don't believe so. Well, it's the everyone gets an award. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But what do you think? Anything with these guilds coming up to, like with PGA, for instance, I, I think 
I've been a little down on Arrival's chances overall. Mm-hmm. People are like, what the hell's wrong with you? I'm, I just, look, I, I just... No, I mean, it's it's honestly odd to me that it's doing so well. I'm thrilled. Yeah. But, you know, I think you used the Nightcrawler comparison. Yeah, Nightcrawler. At one point. Ex Machina. Yeah. Um, a little bit of Dragon Tattoo, maybe. I mean, it's just this hip thing that yeah. will appeal to young members and guilds, but I, I don't... But someone someone made a point to me that the difference here is there's a very emotional component to Arrival. Very That's emotional, true. yeah. Yeah. And it's such a good adaptation. I know I've been, like, flogging this for a while on Twitter, but, you know, having read the short story it's based on, it is, like, a textbook definition of a great adaptation. Mm-hmm. You know, being very true to the source material in some way, but making it its own thing. Mm-hmm. I just, um, I don't know how his name is pronounced, but Eric Heiserer. 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 I if I just say it really fast, no one I messed up. <laughs> yeah, that's it. He, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, Villeneuve. I think Villeneuve is going to get in for DGA. I hope so. I mean, it just makes sense for yeah. them to, to nominate him, and he came around late in the game, which mm-hmm. was good, ultimately, because he was doing Blade Runner. I think if there's, like, any PGA surprises, I would love for it to be something like Captain Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think Hidden Figures is in. We've always been pretty yeah. secure about that one. I think that'll be the, sort of the American Sniper story where, um, you know, didn't do so well leading up to... Mm-hmm. The Oscars, but I'm still holding out hope for a Taraji. I think Sully's nomination. a PGA possibility. Sure. So I think, uh, you know, look, they they haven't really. I think the surprising thing was missing the editing nomination. I, I kind of thought that that was. And for good me, to go. Tom Hanks failing to get a Golden Globe or SAG nom. Like, literally, what does this man have to do? You know, they showed. Certainly a, Golden Globe, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would have. You would have thought. They showed a clip package for him at uh, Palm Springs. By the way, he was the belle of the ball. He introduced Natalie Portman, gave an amazing speech. Yes. Andrew Garfield gave him a big shout-out. Killer beard. <laughs> then he uh, you know, accepted his Icon Award, I guess it's called. Yeah. And uh, you know, they showed this clip package, and there was – it's like – I forget like some of these movies that Tom Hanks did. I still don't know how he missed for Captain Phillips after that last it scene. It infuriates me. <laughs> it's just like what happened yeah. that year. He was every he worked hard that he year. I think did. That he got burned that year. I feel yeah. like he doesn't want to do it. Well, he got doubly anymore. burned because he was also excellent in saving Mr. Banks. Yeah. So. yeah. But maybe you know, maybe there, there's an Look, nobody's shot. feeling sorry for Tom Hanks. No. Having no. <laughs> having said that. Least of that, all Tom Hanks. He'd be the first to say it probably. Like, I love that he just seems to be having the best time yeah. wherever he goes. He's just he's being Tom Hanks. <laughs> he will win an Emmy for David S. Pumpkins though. That <laughs> I I stand Do they have firm a, is in there my is there a is there a place where you can nominate something like that? Yeah, it's uh in the uh, guest category. The guest category? Yeah, I think okay. Justin Timberlake might have won an okay, Emmy yeah, for hosting yeah. Saturday Night Live. Well, yeah. He, that bring it on down to whateverville that sketch you know what i'm yeah. talking about oh i know it's hilarious yes he well i think it was the year of blank in a box he won blank I, in a, we could, I, come on i am a lady <laughs> i am a young lady of 22 who does not speak blank that in way. a box <laughs> what else should we cover i feel like uh there's not a lot to say for a few weeks here <laughs> what do you think will happen at the globes in best actor for a drama i mean I don't know, Casey Denzel. There's a part of me, I, uh, maybe as a pipe dream, I'm rooting for Vigo as well. Um, I feel like they'll probably get in line with Casey, but I do think that Manchester is like not fully their cup of tea, and that they kind of mm-hmm. were like we should probably nominate it. For these right, things. and they you know? also so. want to match up with the Oscars, yeah, so well, they can say they're a predictor. So, but I don't, I don't know, know how true that is, though. Like, you don't want 99 people. It's not like they get together in a room and say, okay. We got to get the Oscars correct. Like, 
I don't know. I think that's exactly what they did. I really, <laughs> really? do. I think that so they nominate like, Aaron Taylor Johnson for Nocturnal Animals. No, I think like the nominations can be a little out there, but ultimately they want to give it to the person who's going to win the Oscar. So that mm. they can say, you know, we've predicted the Oscar winners and, you know, it makes it a bigger deal. It makes people, you know, want to be nominated more, campaign more, go to the go to the show. What I've always said about the Globes is it's it's a uh, stellar marketing opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. I mean, yeah. it's they're the one show. This is where the Critics' Choice dropped the ball this year. They're the one show in the middle of voting. Right. So uh, it makes them more relevant and uh, – you know, it presents all of that marketing capital for you to to spend. So it's it's uh, you know. And is Oscar is. voting open right now? Yes. Oh wow. Okay. This morning, ballots went out. Wow. Any, anything that you want to make sure, like, if any voters are listening, like, please put this screener in. Consider this person. What do you think? Have you heard of this movie called La La Land? Because <laughs> Come on, something that pro- I just turned into it's my not mother. on their radar. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, I did a La La Land Q and A with Ryan Gosling last night, and I have to reiterate um, because the movie is fun mm-hmm. and to some extent lighthearted. Uh, I don't know if people really appreciate the hard, hard work these actors did. I mean, not just learning to, in his case, play the piano, singing and dancing, but gosh, I just kept thinking, you know, this this movie looks like $100 million, but mm-hmm. it was shot, it's more or less an independent movie to some degree. What was and it, like 25, 30? The rumor is between 25 and 30. Okay. Yeah. Um, but like, I just kept thinking like, you know, they do these long takes, they're losing light, you know, nobody wants to be the person who like, you've just completed a big musical number shot in one take and you sneeze. And blow the take or something. So you would like to remind Academy voters of the movie that is likely to receive about 13 nominations. I would like to remind them of the performances <laughs> and not to take them for granted, a la Tom Hanks. I don't think Hanks. they will. Um, so you think Emma and Ryan will win? Oh, no. I'm talking about nominations. Oh, it's nominations. ballots for nominations. Okay. Right see, now. but like every year there's a big shocker that's left off. And I could see like, you know, like what if Ryan gets left off? That often happens, yeah, yeah. because of people taking things for granted like, oh, Ben Affleck is safe for yeah, Best exactly. Director. For, I'm going to vote for Ben Zeitlin mm-hmm. instead. And then Ben gets in and Ben doesn't. So yeah. You could have chosen people with two different names. I know. That Ben and Ben was very – in our, my mind, I saw Ben spelled B-E-H-N, so I knew. Our listeners are smart. Yeah, they are very smart. Um, I think, uh, you know, again, not a, it's not a dark horse per se, but Hidden Figures, Kevin Costner doing some of the best yeah, work I'll, of his I'll career. Yeah, I'll stand up for Kevin. He was, yeah. you know, one of our – I guess the last, yeah, the last uh, podcast was Kevin's mm-hmm. interview. He's great in that movie and uh, really just comfortable in the role. Yeah. And, and I think that's a difficult thing to pull off, looking so at ease in a character, you know. And let's so. talk about some of those supporting actors in Fences. Oh, yeah. yeah. I met Michael T. Williamson at our uh, oh, What brunch. a nice guy. He is really, really – He was at our brunch yesterday? You missed him? Yeah. I, sorry. I was busy talking to Matt Ross. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say – Kevin's a, Kevin's a good one. Kevin's then, a great one. You know, I mentioned in our top fives, you know, not that I think anyone's going to take this seriously, but I do think Anton Yelchin was really good in Green mm-hmm. Room and uh, like like really good, not just like serviceable, like really good. So, you know. I like to throw out the lobster for screenplay. Yes. As well. I think that's going to get in. Um, look, best actor is a crazy crowded field mm-hmm. like a while ago it was looking like really really empty mm-hmm. um but you know if, if people could check out the founder i think michael keaton is really really good mm-hmm. i love michael yeah he's he's hard to like Here, not root for here's one we both agree with and it's a segue uh 13th 
maybe consider yes. it for more than just best documentary. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the best films of the year, period. And Ava DuVernay is the interview this week. Oh, really? Yes. Can and I just tell you? Um, one of my favorites that we've done. Speaking of how my dad never remembers names or people he's met, I will not even tell you how many times he's butchered <laughs> Tom Hiddleston's name. I mean, the man's name is Tom. It's not that hard. <laughs> but uh, the one person that he has never forgotten, he met her two years ago at that brunch. Wait, have we talked about this on this podcast? I don't know. I feel like people might be. I know that I've talked about it at length on Twitter that my dad is in love with Ava DuVernay. Yes. Yes. She's the one that left left the mark on your dad. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> well, <laughs> she is a striking person. She is gorgeous. In every way. And um, I would not mention how much my father is in love with her, except he is also a huge fan of her work. So it's I don't want like to get in trouble the way Steve Martin did by right. pointing out that Carrie Fisher is beautiful yeah. and also talented and amazing. That was. Yeah, I know. I'm actually that's that's the world we live in. It is. But anyway, oh, uh, uh, throw, throw out a shout out for Patriots Day. Patriots Day. Yes, the editing, especially. Yeah, the, the way that movie's put together is and Deepwater is amazing. Yeah, these late arrivals that yeah, mm-hmm. are really, really deserving. Definitely. All right, well, stay tuned for Ava right after this. Again, this episode of Playback is brought to you by Warner Brothers Pictures with Sully, which Richard Brody of The New Yorker says is, quote, a deeply felt achievement. Directed by Clint Eastwood. Starring Tom Hanks, Aaron Eckhart, and Laura Lenny. For your consideration in all categories. Amendment to the Constitution makes it unconstitutional for someone to be held as a slave. There are exceptions, including criminals. The loophole was immediately exploited. What you got after that was a rapid transition to a mythology of black criminality. Some people got the real problem. Animals, beasts that needed to be controlled. You better believe it. It became virtually impossible for a politician to run and appear soft on crime. The kinds of kids that are called super predators. Millions of dollars will be allocated for prison and jail facilities. Three strikes and you are out. It was an enormous burden on the black community, but it also violated a sense of core fairness. Only human, after all, don't put the blame on me. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with 13th director Ava DuVernay. Hi, Ava, happy, happy new, new year. year. Happy New Year, Chris. It's 2017. Aren't we glad to put 2016 behind us? I think us? we all are, yeah. Amen. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad we finally got you in here, by the way. I know. I like I like this place. I've been trying to reel Ava in for uh, months now. <laughs> it is true. I was willing to go to the set of your movie to talk to you if I had to. You're so busy. You're such a busy lady. I know. I wanted to come, but I got five jobs. I know. Well, I, let me ask you about that, actually. Do you – I mean, I'm not – well, I don't know. I don't think I'm lazy. But if I can <laughs> find a way to not leave the house, I probably won't leave the house. <laughs> Do you is is living such a full life super important to you? Um, I feel like I am living a busy life when it comes to work, but not mm-hmm. the fullest life I can live like mm-hmm. as a overall human being. I mean, you have a family and a child and I'm like have 
nine jobs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So one of my resolutions for the new year is to try to actually have a fuller life that's not just all work. Because between the television show and the doc and then shooting a new movie mm-hmm. and Array, my work with Array, our distribution collaborative, you know, it's just a lot of work. Yeah. Well, this movie, you know, speaking of, like, how busy you are you're working on it and i didn't know you were working on this movie oh <laughs> like, i like to have this, the project, doing it under the radar the quiet projects yeah yeah i don't know this felt like one that didn't need to be like announced in the trades yeah Partly i won't be- take offense to that right <laughs> as i sit in the trade <laughs> office um just because uh i think i got more access to folks because it, we weren't kind of waving the flag that we were doing it right um you know i was approaching people as what it was it was a, an exploration and investigation into some of these things that i wanted to know more about um so yeah it felt like the trade article maybe could wait until later no i hear you i'm glad we did yeah well i knew about it a long time ago <laughs> myself so <laughs> i knew about this secret a small handful <laughs> of folk yes but uh yeah, just that idea of being so busy in your work life. Uh, what does that speak to? Is that kind of how you were raised? Is there a work ethic instilled in you? What is that? Surely work ethic. My father uh, owned his own business. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just that kind of round-the-clock care that you have to give to something as an entrepreneur is something that I definitely saw in my mother, of course, different times in my life working two, three jobs. I think for me it's more about um, – I don't know. I feel like this kind of a ticking clock uh, career wise, only because I have not seen anyone that is like me that has had a long career mm-hmm. doing what I do. I can't point Strike to while it's hot. Yeah, I can't point to any women who've had, you know, a 30 year career that's consistent. Mm-hmm. American woman anyway, certainly not American woman of color. Mm-hmm. Um, very few, you know, filmmakers of color, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, from this country and so there's not like there's a whole lineup of folks I can say oh I want to have a career like that so that leads me to believe that that kind of career is rare yeah and that uh, I don't find myself to be exceptional so in line with that I should be a realist and make as much as I can truly make as much as I can during this time I mean you know favor in Hollywood and the industry comes in and out yeah and so right now I have some attention and, and the windows open and there's some favor and uh you make as much as you can while you can well, that speaks to what I think is really interesting about your career right now is it's a sense of escalation. Mm-hmm. Like you put your foot down on the on the gas and you haven't let off. You know, you started with documentaries. You uh, moved into intimate dramas. You go off and do Selma, which is not like it's still an intimate drama and very much you, but it's obviously there's a bigness about a movie like that. Mm-hmm. And then something like 13th, it's not like you, you know, found some like, shoe repairman in Alabama and made like a little profile documentary. I mean, this is significant work. Mm-hmm. And now you're doing this $100 million large-scale Disney movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like at some point we're going to see your Star Wars movie or something. Uh, you just, you just kind of <laughs> what I'm saying is the trajectory is just like this. Mm. And uh, I guess everything you just said speaks to that. Well, it's funny because you, when you say trajectories like this, your hand went up as if it was uh, like an, uh, an ascent. I just feel like it's uh I don't know what linear or mm-hmm. lateral, like it's just continuing, mm-hmm. which is my only desire. Right. You know, whether I'm, I'm making Wrinkle in Time for Disney or the 13th, which was just a very, started out as a very small doc, mm-hmm. a very small doc for Netflix, or whether or not I jump in to do my own indie project next, which is what I'll be doing next. Mm-hmm. I just need to keep, keep working 
You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not trying to improve anything or go anywhere specific. I just want consistency. Mm-hmm. And that's been what has been lacking in the careers of so many women and people of color for so long. Yeah, I hear you. Well, speaking of 13th, uh, I just want to pause here. Uh, first of all, the movie is it's a documentary about uh, what the, how this country has found a way to exist as a perpetual slave state through mass incarceration, prison industrial complex. Uh, if you haven't seen 13th, you can do it right now. You can press pause. Yep. Ava and I will be here when you get back. We'll Go watch it you. on Netflix. Listen, just pick us up when you're finished. You'll, 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 the, the conversation will be richer as a result, I think. <laughs> um, you know, like I said, it was kind of under the radar, but when, when did you first decide I want to make a movie about this subject? Yeah, it was the most unlikely phone call was a call from Lisa Nishimura, who heads documentaries at Netflix, asking, do you want to make a doc? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I translated into, are you going to give me money to make a doc? <laughs> I still think very indie-minded. When I was first three films, I spent my own money to make them, you know, mm-hmm. and scraping up the money. So when they said, you know, that they wanted to go ahead and fund something, my pitch was to uh, do a piece about the prison industrial complex, mostly the money that's being made off punishment, profit mm-hmm. off punishment in that process and the power all tied up into that. But as I got into that, I realized you can't really tell that story and talk about like prison laborer now that J.C. Penney's or Victoria's Secrets was practicing or, or, or dabbling in for a while without people understanding the black codes and reconstruction and prison labor during that time. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so now I have to go back and tell you that. Okay, so but you're not going to understand that unless you know the context of the time. So now i got to get back to slavery. Okay, if I'm in slavery, I might as well tell you, did you know about the 13th Amendment? Okay, let me tell you about that. And that <laughs> comes up. Jim Crow, if I'm talking about Michelle Alexander's new Jim Crow, the book, you got to know what the old Jim Crow was. Mm-hmm. So the pieces started to fit together where it became quite expansive, a lot bigger than I originally bit off. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's a beautiful thing about Doc is it takes you where it wants to go, where it needs to go, and you as the filmmaker and the documentarian have to just follow that. Yeah. Well, you, uh, you know, obviously you studied African-American studies in UCLA. And so a lot of this stuff, it didn't feel like to me, like you said, okay, I'm going to go off and do this movie. And uh, you explored it. It felt like you were ready to tell this story. This is what I mean. Like you had it all ready to go and to explore and how to explore it. Uh, That having been said, uh, was there anything when you got into it that you learned that was just like an arresting sort of thing that Mm -hmm. you didn't really know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the great thing about it is, uh, and thank you for that compliment, the, the, th- the great thing about it is I knew where I wanted to go. I think a lot of the time spent um, on documentaries about discovery, but so much of it I knew, and I was just ready to tell the story and wanting to see it all put together in this way. Not like it hasn't been told in other places, but a mm-hmm. bit of it's here, a bit of it's there. My thought was, wow, if we could put it in one place, an overview, a primer for people that don't know anything about it, or people that know it in pieces, but there's something about seeing it all together. But within that, what I didn't know really anything about, I mean, I knew it wasn't good, but I didn't know the depths of Alec at the time that I was making the doc. Uh, And so as I was getting in there and talking about privatization and prison and um, and uh, uh, particularly the companies that were profit profiting off of services inside of prison, the phone calls that are made, the food, you know, the, the health care services, looking into those contracts that led me into ALEC. 
And that was the hardest part of the doc for me because I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't use my best judgment on, oh, let's go look up this or let's tell them about this as I was able to do in other parts of the doc. I was learning it from scratch. Mm-hmm. And I really stumbled over it. It took me a long time to A, learn it myself enough so that I could share it with somebody else. Yeah. And I went down a rabbit hole. I mean, it sidetracked me for like six months because yeah, I was just messed up over Alec. Um but uh, but yeah, no, it's it's startling that there's a shadowy group of people who are not lawmakers who are crafting our laws, yeah, and that we abide by, and that so many of us are imprisoned under. So it was important to be in there. And in that time, John Oliver did that segment on it, so you can include oh, that. Oh as- yes, I mean, <laughs> I was so so struggling off of how to put that together, and then that piece, mm-hmm. and I thought there's nothing better than a little humor to yeah. lighten it up. Yeah, it's staggering. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about formal aspects of the movie because something that stuck out to me specifically framing and camera movement uh is that you frame your subjects a lot of the time just they seem a little bit uh overwhelmed by their environment the infrastructure architectural elements you know a vast brick wall a large empty you know building just there's something about how you're framing people within their space Mm -hmm. and i just wanted to talk about that as well as the way you move your camera in the movie like how you wanted the visual storytelling Mm -hmm. to come across in the Mm -hmm. film yeah no thank you for the question i really get asked that um my idea for the just production design which (laughs) sometimes i say production design when i'm talking to people about the doc and i get the eye roll but like, right. <laughs> yes, your production design, where they sat when you <laughs> right. pointed the camera. Right. But it really was, my whole idea was labor. I wanted all of the kind of backdrops and the spaces within which they were sitting and talking to me to denote labor. So a lot of steel, brick, mm-hmm. slate, glass, um, stone. And, um, you know, the, the space where we interview Angela Davis, for example, you know, an old abandoned train station in Oakland mm-hmm. uh, so that you could see the decay on the walls of this kind of grand structure, the concrete falling off. So uh, that was the big idea behind it. And then within that, certainly, um, you know, a, a camera that was wide so that we can kind of have these spaces, which is what prison is. It's a space that you're captured within. Um, kind of give a feel of uh, a feeling of... Uh, Captivity that they were kind of caught in my frame and unable to kind of move. Yeah. But then there's space, there were places where, and I went to juxtapose that, were places where the uh, analysts and experts I was talking to were really able to break free of their space. And so that's why I set up the, the 360 dolly. Mm-hmm. So there was a dolly, actually a 280 dolly, that was moving around the subjects and around me, behind my back and around me throughout all of the interviews. So a static camera in, in multiple frame uh, sizes, uh, and then the dolly, which I, th- I think there's a point where we use the dolly more with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we cut cut that in, it's really during moments where we want to underline or highlight what's being said. So anyway, it was great. I was in a Q&A the other day, a community Q&A, and the lady was like, I love that floating camera. <laughs> and I was like, don't you love people watching movies? It's like, ma'am, thank you. I appreciate it. Totally. She's like, what do you call that? I said, you call it a dolly, ma'am. Love so it. innocent. I know. It's just the <laughs> they best. I don't know anything about how the sausage is made. <laughs> I love it's, it. I envy that, It's actually. lovely. Yeah. Um, when did you decide to, to uh, treat the word criminal the way you did? Oh, that was an idea uh, that came probably mid- midway through the process with my editor and great friend Spencer Averick, who I share the writing credit on on this film, um, really wanting to just examine the ways in which African Americans have been uh, 
criminalized is through dehumanization and the way that you dehumanize is by calling people anything but human. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's criminal, whether it's the N-word, whether it's thug, um, thug, uh, all different ways that the media, the press, um, and, you know, the society at large has been infected by these labels, anything other than man or woman Mm -hmm. or human being. And so it was important to, 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 to play with those, those ideas throughout. Yeah. And then the importance of music. You have Public Enemy pops up, Dead Prez. You've got the King of Names song shows yeah. up. Just uh, what was the importance of music in telling the story? Well, my idea, my, my idea behind that was that, that you know, the black mu- musical tradition has been one of protest around these very ideas of criminalization and, and dehumanization of black people for as long as we can remember, whether it's, you know— uh, uh, Negro spirituals, so-called Negro spirituals, or protest mu- music during the civil rights movement, or certainly hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Um, we even have, you know, a black opera singer and uh, our our black composer, Jason Moran, doing some work uh, with the operatic voice around um, uh, with the Negro spiritual. So the idea that artists, that uh, artists with a voice, from Nina Simone to Chuck D, have been talking about police, they've been talking about imprisonment, they've been talking about the criminal justice issues throughout. I mean, there's so many songs we could have pulled from. We just didn't yeah. have the cash to, you know, shell out for Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, you right. know what I mean? But I would have. Um, so you got some o- good stuff in there. Yeah, great <laughs> stuff. But so often artists have been on the forefront of narrating the experience, the black experience mm-hmm. specifically, around these issues. And so... I want to highlight that. It never hurts to have a little Chuck D. Listen, you can't go room. wrong with the Chuck D. Not at all. I was definitely bobbing my head <laughs> Good. in that moment. Uh, you, you were finishing this film up, you know, in kind of the home stretch of the election. And it started handing you stuff that you had to use. I mean, obviously the Donald Trump segment that took off virally right around the election where he's talking about the good old days. When you're in the middle of making a movie and the zeitgeist is so informing it in that way as you're making it, like, what is, what does that feel like? I mean, is it just like, because you have to be on one hand kind of caught between this is a gift and this is still awful, like right. stuff that I'm having to deal with artistically. But just what does that feel like when you're in the heat of something like that and everything is informing what you're working on? Well, I've experienced it twice now. You know, with uh, with Selma, yeah, yeah, with Selma, we were right in the middle of Mike Brown's murder in Ferguson, mm-hmm. and we were cutting the summer, cutting Selma marches and beatings, the summer of of Ferguson marches and beatings. Yeah, and, and people were trying to limit voting rights at, at, in that absolutely same time, in that yeah. same time as well. Um, and then certainly with the thirteenth, with everything happening with the with the campaign, I think the thing that we've tried to show Spencer and I in both instances is restraint. And to really think about the piece as evergreen, standing alone from whatever current trend or whatever ha- is happening in the current moment. I mean, there was no, we were determined not to cut Selma differently than we had already planned, even though we were going home at night and seeing images that were bouncing off of what we had just cut. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and we were determined in this very much so not to become engulfed in the, all this election rhetoric. It would have been, it could have been really easy to expand or dedicate a whole section to that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a fight, but uh, then what would it have been in December or January when you watch it? It would have been, you know, tagged as something of that time. And all the information that has nothing to do with those two people, those two candidates, mm-hmm. would be lost in it. And mm-hmm. so we wanted to try to keep an eye on making it evergreen. And so I've been satisfied with going back and watching the doc after 
the election. Um, it resonates in a different way, mm-hmm. but I'm not lost. It doesn't feel dated right? Um, because we did not kind of indulge in the low-hanging fruit of you know the sensational elements of the campaign. And beyond just the, the here and now, I mean, they're, both of them were candidates who have a history with this. Yeah, that's matter. what we embraced. So, it was just the fact that they were a part of the story. Yeah. Uh, so they 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 were they fell into the narrative naturally and authentically, and they were always planned to be in it before either emerged. I mean, I was working on it for two years, so mm-hmm. before either emerged as the uh, the nominee for their party, uh, they were in it both of them, mm-hmm. and so we just stayed true to that and, and tried not to kind of get too to of the moment with it yeah and i thought it was very important too i mean there's nothing partisan about it the clintons have their right their yeah. uh, uh situation to deal with here with this source or this subject matter so right. uh, i think the, one of the big things a couple of folks said ah you should have put that in there against hillary i'm like i'm not against hillary uh this is what she said <laughs> that's what the lady yeah. said this is what she said and this is what she said afterwards she said it at one point and later she said you know, things have changed. I regret that, such and such. But the the truth uh, is that she said it, and it deserved a place in there because those words and that thinking did impact what was happening at the time politically. Well, I think the fact is it's history that needs to be learned from, uh, which kind of brings me to my next question here. This issue of, quote, law and order is very much back, as Trump says in your in their film. He says he's the law and order candidate. Uh the West Virginia senator recently, Joe Manchin, said that uh, the solution for his state's opioid epidemic was to declare a war on drugs, which uh, I think you responded to on Twitter. You said I did tweet s- about that. sounded familiar. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's an outrageous statement and also kind of, uh, you know, ironic because the opioid ep- epidemic is largely a white problem, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess I have a question that I don't think anyone can really answer. I'm going to ask you anyway. Why don't we learn these lessons mm-hmm. uh, it's a great question I think because they're not pointed out often enough it mm-hmm. feels new in the moment if you don't know history that's why you know some uh, or I was African American history major you know some are looking back there there are lessons to be learned in the past you hear you know this this politician now talking about law and order and if you cannot connect that if you cannot connect what Trump says to what's been done before and the ways in which those were that those words have been used to distort, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and and twist uh, the realities of millions of people, particularly people of color, then you have no context for it being wrong, and there's nothing to learn. Mm-hmm. So it's so so important, and I'm I'm just proud of the fact that in 13th we just are reminding people this is not new, folks. None of this is new. And I think a lot of folks now are. Um, I see, like online, we're both online quite a bit. I see a lot of people kind of trying to make connections, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Trying to pull things together in a way that we remind ourselves where this kind of thinking leads us. Mm-hmm. I just saw something the other day, the Smithsonian Magazine's account talking about how the press covered Mussolini. Mm-hmm. You know, looking back at headlines, like, we've been here before. How mm-hmm. did we react and how can we do better? And so um, I think, yeah, that's the that's the first way to kind of combat these things is to know that that we're in a continuum. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's multiple issues at play, too. It's like we're also at this point now where people either believe everything they read, lar- largely from the wrong sources, or they believe nothing that they read mm-hmm. because uh, it's just it's not an informed populace and uh, it never really has been. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it ever will be. 
the press is more under fire today than uh, ever in that regard. So, yeah, yeah, it's complicated, complicated times. There were a couple specific things I wanted to ask about in the film with uh, certain subjects, like Charles Rangel, when when he he seemed to not really get it <laughs> when he was talking about the Just Say No campaign. Uh, was that frustrating? Well, you know, he represented um, po- black politicians at the time yeah. who were in favor of the you know drug policies, mm-hmm. particularly in Clint- with Clinton and Reagan's administration that really, in the end, did damage to black and brown communities. Um, but at that time, as he says, it was, uh, it was there was an epidemic. There was uh, a lot of fear in the black community that was being stoked by these politicians to mm-hmm. get what they wanted. And uh, and so he was a part of it. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I was happy that he said on camera is that he was wrong mm-hmm. um, and that it didn't work out like he like it was promised. I mean, I think in a lot of ways and I think he he's done a lot for the black community in his district and his state. But yeah. at that time, he was used. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was used um, and promises were made that that were against the interests of the very communities he was trying to protect. And so um, this is also something that's continued to happen, particularly around black politicians. And, you know, it takes uh, the, 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 the diligent kind of politician that wants to educate themselves, especially if you're black, brown or otherwise, to make sure that you're not the pawn this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Newt Gingrich had some disarmingly reasonable things to say. I know. I had faith in, I mean, in like, I don't know, it was interesting. A couple of things came out of that interview. One, I was struck by how small my own circle is in that it was startling to me to sit across from someone who had just a radically different point of view than I am. Like, just for me personally, mm-hmm. I thought, wow, I should know more people in my life. Like, as a black woman, I will, you know, easily kind of slap the hand or criticize white people who don't know any black people, mm-hmm. right? It's like, dude, get a life mm-hmm. in their personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, a, you know, a liberal who don't who does not know any conservatives, mm-hmm. like, if I wanted to have some conservatives over my home, they would be strangers walking into my house just mm-hmm. to have a conversation. And that's not healthy either. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to expand, you know, our, our who we're talking to on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was one thing that struck me as I was talking about to all of these conservatives interviewed over 20 for the doc. There's a lot of people we don't identify. We don't say they're liberal or conservative. Right. And a lot of these people in the prison reform, they sound quote unquote liberal because they're saying mm-hmm. to do away with, with prison as it is now. But many of the people I talk to are conservatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, it was startling to me to sit down with someone like Newt and hear him say those things. I, he'd been talking that way in smaller circles for a while. So I knew what I was going to get if I can get to it. Mm-hmm. But um, I've also kind of done a double take with some of the stuff that's coming out now from him. Well, that's what I was going to say. How do you, how do you reconcile? <laughs> I, I can't. With where he is now. I can't reconcile it. I just, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, one of them's disingenuous. Yeah. You know, one of them, one of them's not right. You weren't telling the truth somewhere because yeah. there's no way you can hold those two points of view and be sane. Do you have a line into him? Can, can <laughs> what am I do? Call him and be like, no, we yeah, need to talk. <laughs> What's going on? Man? Yeah, no, it's, 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 um, I'm, I'm interested in knowing myself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Van Jones. Van Jones. He's fairly 
it's interesting. Oh, I'll let you ask well, your question. Well, I was just going to say he, he stands out as a as a dominant voice in, in the film, I think, and certainly after this year and the, the voice yeah. he's had on, on TV, yeah. uh, when I can stomach CNN, he is uh, one of the few things that I can stomach. Amen to that. Because yeah, everything is like... I can't. Someone do it. took a dump on Trump Star. Let's go to our CNN panel. Yeah, I can't. Uh, like, do what it. is what is that? But yeah. anyway, uh, wh- what kind of uh, he, he's interesting to me, and I'm curious about his future as a journalistic voice. Like, yeah. what, what do you think? I'm excited about it. When I first said that, I've known him for a little bit. I saw him doing some stuff on CNN for Selma, mm-hmm. uh, the, the 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 march that the president uh, mm-hmm. participated in. Uh, the 50th anniversary, and I reached out to him just to say, you know, I loved what he had said. And so we stayed in touch, and when I asked him to do this, he first came into the interview, and he was he's not the Van we know now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's always been brilliant, but he was very, when he first sat down in the interview, he was very, I don't know, um, maybe talking pointy. Mm-hmm. Like he, because he's talked about this stuff so much. He travels the country talking about prison reform and mm-hmm. his, his organization Cut 50. And so I just turned off the camera for a second. I said, I just, I just need you to talk to us and me like we're just homies hanging out. Like, mm-hmm. really tell me the real, real deal, like in the non-TV voice. Like, really give it to us. And he was like, oh, okay. And it just this amazing interview came out where he really is, he shines. Yeah. Because he kind of, and now I see that guy more on national TV, not saying that we did it, but he's embracing something where his voice is so clear right now. It's one of the few points of clarity, I think, yeah. on the airwaves that I'm um, just thrilled with it and excited for him. A uh, brilliant, brilliant guy. Yeah. And uh, a big public intellectual that I'm, I'm glad we have his, his voice out there. And I'm yeah. so happy that we were able to capture it in 13. When did you shoot that particular interview? We shot that. It was one of our later ones. Okay. Uh, we shot that uh, probably in the spring of last year. Okay. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, I, yeah, I look forward to yeah. seeing more of him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, strange question, but you know we got to get our our, our 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 everything together here. Uh, who I'm should scared. lead? Who should lead the Democratic Party? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I don't, I don't. Do you don't, even have an answer? I, is it an unfair I, question? I just I shake my head. It is um, the whole thing is such a disappointment. Yeah. Uh, from top to bottom, from all sides, mm-hmm. I just I can't believe there's no strong voice of dissent. There's no. I mean, I I, I, I can't tell you. There's no one that I'm looking at. Yeah. You know, that's ha- that's been strong enough, that's had the backbone, that's been someone will emerge. Mm-hmm. I'm confident. I-, I can only pray that uh, someone, someone will emerge. Always does, it seems. It like. has to because this kind of apathetic kind of just it's just it's just the responses at this point have been weak in my view to yeah. a very very something that deserves a strong opposition. Um and uh I, I can't see who it is now. Yeah. I I hope someone emerges yeah, we'll sooner see. than later. Who do you think? People talk about Gavin Newsom a lot. I mean, uh, he's very. What was the joke someone made recently? Bill Maher said he looks like he's out of central casting, <laughs> which is true. I mean, he looks very a little true. Ken Dollish, a little. Yeah, but he's know. he's been yeah opening his mouth. Somebody's got to. I mean, he's been certainly in this state, which is at the forefront of for a lot sure of progressive. It, mm-hmm. He's he's been a very great leader for that. So I don't, I don't know. He stands out as a possibility, but I I don't know, man. I mean, when I think when you say leader of the party, I'm thinking of someone that's within striking distance of doing that. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. he's a great yeah, he's someone. A, little, a yeah. long way to go to yeah. get there. I'm just who is right there to take it? 
you know, the people that are standing right there are just, you know, yeah, not 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 doing it. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. There's, there's certainly a, a lot of depression to go around at the Absolutely. moment. So maybe everyone will snap out of it in the new year. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll just say this. I really think it's going to be, and I was talking to a friend about this, <clears throat> it's going to be it, the power of the image mm-hmm. is one that we all know as people who love film and practice film is a striking emotional thing. Mm-hmm. And when he lifts his hand, puts his hand on that Bible and takes that oath and we see the image I, I really I, I pray that that is a thing that shakes us out of the stupor like this is mm-hmm. like a bad reality show and it's not real mm-hmm. or something's going to happen and turn it all around because mm-hmm. then it's done yeah. and I, I'm dreading the image but it is coming yep. and it is real and Obama I was there the day that Bush took off in Air Force or Marine One mm at the inauguration and Obama was there raising his hand mm-hmm. and this is going to be Obama taking off a Marine One and who's left? This guy. Yeah. Raising his hand and walking into that house and living there. Maybe. If he yeah, decides yeah, what's right. Or just making New York a nightmare. <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's uh, you know, I, I think just for, for, you know, in terms of the storytelling that people are telling themselves you know, that image is going to be uh, a powerful one that this country either will descend into a full-on depression or it will really shake some people out of their stupor. I think mainly people need to realize there's nothing that's going to bail us out in the next exactly. three weeks either, or two weeks. It's like, uh, you know, the electors, that wasn't going to happen. You know, none of these things are going to happen. Nope. Like, this is, this is it. This is it. And uh, impeachment, maybe, maybe. But, you know, everybody seems to be getting in line, so probably not. Yeah. All right, let's let's. Uh, this is a depressing yeah, conversation, Christopher. Let's talk about wrinkle. How's that going? <laughs> okay, you don't have to be See, detailed. No, no, no. But let me tell you, this is my life. Thirteenth and Trump, you know, <laughs> bad feelings, and then I get to go in and just work on wrinkle, and my whole mood just changes. Yeah. Because I get to create creatures and deal with beautiful children and great actors and costumes and uh, just, just it's a self care moment, a little escape. I yeah. do, I, I really do. Because that making thirteenth and like you know editing a thousand hours of racist, violent footage and mm-hmm. like trying to wrap my mind around all these really complex issues about dehumanization and the ways that we oppress each other. Um, took a toll, mm-hmm. you know, right after Selma. It was just like, yeah. lady, come, you know, just sit back and relax a little bit. And so that's what I've been doing with this. I mean, not relaxing, it's obviously intense, but the subject matter itself is not harmful to my heart every time I go home. And uh, so I've been enjoying it. Did the scale of this project, has, has, have you just taken that in stride? Is it? Yeah, I yeah. love it. I, I, people always ask me that, like, I'm about to break in half. But, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I not did. like you did, but I, <laughs> I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's making a film. It's, it's yeah. making a movie. I mean, the one thing that I've, I've really learned from it is there's never enough money or time. Yeah. The day is going to end. The sun mm-hmm. is going to go down. It does not matter you what's on your, your shot. That you you get to make it or you didn't. Yeah. And it's the same if I'm making my first film, $50,000 film, or I'm making this film. It's like the bottom line is you have to look an actor in the eye. You have to get the truth of the performance. You have to understand that story. And you have to do it in a certain amount of daylight hours or not. 
And uh, all the bells and whistles around it have been really lovely. You know, I've, I was able to handpick my crew. Disney was fantastic in that I was able top to bottom to Great. put together the people around me who made me comfortable, who were like-minded, who were forward-thinking, and who uh, had no problem being directed by a woman. And um, so it's been just a beautiful experience. And quite um, – I can't swim. Oh. I can't swim like me personally but it's like just because i haven't sw- it's like a kid like a, when you put a baby in the pool right oh i thought they- you're about to tell me some story about how you fell into some water or no, something i thought you were going I'm some using an analogy as a metaphoric analogy <laughs> if that is a, a, such a term Got it. but yeah you put a baby who could swim and you put her in the pool and the baby just swims i'm told i'm like a baby in the pool i've never swam but i'm swimming Got and um, uh, it feels good. Awesome. Well, yes. hopefully we can get you back in here to talk about that when it comes out. In, I hope uh, so. A little over a year. And uh, in the meantime, like I said, if you didn't watch it when we told you to, go see 13th now. Yeah, and press gotta, pause on this yeah. and go to Netflix. Got a laptop, Apple TV. Do that. You can watch it. It's at your fingertips. Do it. Ava, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having really me. It. I always like talking to you. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe and check back next week. You've been listening to Playback at Variety. Once again, this episode of Playback has been brought to you by Warner Brothers Pictures with Sully, selected as one of the best films of the year by AFI, based on Captain Sully Sullenberger's unforgettable landing on the Hudson River. Directed by Clint Eastwood, produced by Clint Eastwood, Frank Marshall, Alan Stewart, and Tim Moore. Starring Tom Hanks, Aaron Eckhart, and Laura Linney. For your consideration in all categories. (laughs) 